what a what a day i'm still like thinking babies amazing hey uh next week we're starting a new series it's called kickstart right um and you know like i don't know what the announcements are going to be like today but we are definitely in this mode as victoria uh in opening up and um so we thought we would begin with ki- this kickstart series to kick ourselves um starting you know to get enough momentum so that when everything opens up we're good to go and we want to start with spiritual fervor so can i encourage you to fast begin next week come along for our prayer meeting let's pray father god I pray for your words today even as I speak I pray that you would be the one who speaks um truth. Uh we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you Lord God that we get the opportunity to even find out about him and hear um your truth. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Hey, we are in this series uh, called What Everybody Needs to Know. We've we've been doing it for the last 4 or 5 weeks now and um really we're trying to cover um things that not just Christians need to know not just you need to believe in uh if you're a Christian but what we think everyone the whole world needs to know and uh in if you're not a Christian it's particularly geared for you so if you're joining us somebody sent you a link a thank you so much for being here if you're growing up at home and you're even doubting your faith even if you're in a Christian home this series is really it's for you because we think here are some things that everybody needs to know uh today we're covering the topic of truth we've left truth to the very end because it's the most epic you know what is true uh, Isaiah 59 verse 14 says this justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter uh, i think this kind of very aptly describes the world that we live in right uh fake news truth it feels like today um truth has kind of stumbled it's kind of lost its way uh you know in 2016 oxford dictionary they they highlight different words every year in uh, 2016 the word of the year for oxford dictionary was post truth and here's what they call post truth relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief since it became word of the year in 2016 over the last 4 years oh man i feel like we are living in this kind of post truth world everybody gets a different version of things depending on what your facebook feed is depending on what your preferences are right and and that people are being swayed um more public opinion gets swayed more by emotion and personal um belief you know i think before we can even tackle um with the existence of god and before you can even tackle uh we're just going to change slides right now um if if you can even uh, before you can even deal with god before you can even talk about um is god true or real we i think in today's day and age have to ask the question does truth even exist this was a question that dr frank uh turek asked his philosophy class right and um because oh my goodness we're 
we're living in a day now where is it your truth? Is it my truth? Is there such a thing as objective truth? Um, somebody in this class, Dr. Frank Turek's class, actually put up their hand and said um, definitively, hey, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And what I love is his answer. This is a, I love his answer of this because he basically asked the question back. If you say that there is no such thing as absolute truth, is that true? You see, it's a kind of self-defeating argument. Because if you think there's no such thing as truth, and that's the truth, well then, there is such a thing as absolute truth. It turns out, it turns out that in our exploration of truth and of knowledge, that there are constantly, constantly, all kinds of logical fallacies that exist, all kinds of problems that exist in philosophical arguments. And I don't really want to go too much into it today, other than maybe to say that it turns out that mankind for thousands and thousands of years have been grappling with this. And it turns out we're very limited in our in our knowledge, in our capability to fully comprehend the truth more so today than than ever actually you know even statements such as this and and maybe you're listening along maybe statements such as this like only science can give us real knowledge you know um turns out science can't prove that statement Because this is a philosophical statement. So only science can give us real knowledge. If if you're banking on science, then even that statement is not scientific by its very nature. What, What is truth though? What is truth? Oh my goodness. I hope you're sitting here today and you're not thinking, oh, here's Pastor Chris, some pastor from some church who's going to give his version, you know, Christian version of truth. No, no, no. Today we're going to try to talk about things that we think everybody should know. Truth. This is what the dictionary defines it as. That which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. The true or actual state of the matter. I hope I don't have to spend too much time convincing everybody out there that there is such a thing as truth. Okay? And that's what we're going to try to explore here. But how, how did we get to this place where it takes me like full on seven minutes to just get everybody on the same page to, to agree that surely there must be some thing called truth how do we get here well i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about a few sort of phenomena i'm gonna go pretty quick because we've covered it uh before Uh, the first thing you need to know is the arena of battle has changed around the world okay back in maybe the caveman days uh we would fight with strength and then we would get um then it would technology would advance further and people would go you know what hey instead of fighting with my own muscles right i'm going to get a bunch of people together there's a group of us going to get together and then we'll fight you so uh, my muscles don't have to be that big and then and then it advanced further and somebody had a club or a weapon and went you know what there's a group of us and then we got weapons and then it went from weapons you know it went up technology so then i've got planes we got air air we got bombs from long distance and then what happened was actually 
intelligence became the way for battle, right? Because then uh, you had code breaking. They were trying to do Morse code communications. They got better intelligence through. Then they made huge strides in communication. And then fast forward. We now live in a world where battles are won and lost through narrative, narrative story. It turns out that you could have won a war and still lost the narrative and everybody thinks you're the bad guy and you get punished for it. And so here we are where people are expending their military budgets instead of on weapons or getting alliances, they're expending it on telling the story or the version of truth. How else did we get there? We got there through extreme customization. We're now living in a world where we, we turn the air conditioning to the temperature that we like. There's TV channels that we, we like. Google gives us our preferences. Facebook gives us our preferences, right? Thing, it remembers. And so we customize everything. And so much so that algorithms are customizing the things that come into our Instagram feed, our Facebook feed. And we have customized the world in such a way now that we are getting the things we like like even if it's truth even if it's news and then I think the third point is I I didn't know the category for it so I just called it mind blown you know how do we get here that we can't even comprehend truth I think to me I'm thinking at one level it's just oh my goodness there's so much information out there there's Google's so I can't even figure out you know some auntie is sending me this on whatsapp my facebook feed is sending me something else my young adult uh, kids are sending me something like oh my goodness my mind is blown because i can't even figure out what is the truth there's just we're so globally connected there's so much information you know and so we're all kind of asking this question what's your version of the story what's your version of the story. I, I remember uh, many years ago uh, when I first became a pastor, after Christmas service, I went to Guest Central, you know, back when we were meeting in real life. And um, this guy, young adult guy, came up to me um, and we were chatting. And, you know, usually people say nice things after the Christmas service. And this guy said to me, Oh, you know what, Pastor Chris, uh, thank you for sharing the Jesus story and his birth, you know, the nativity. But I just found that it wasn't very compelling. It wasn't very interesting to me. You know, there were other stories that I liked better. And I I was a little bit shocked. I mean, great. I mean, it's fantastic you can have that that opinion. But um, I can't change the Christmas story. We can't. It's not a story we can change. It's not like there are things that happen in life, and whether we like a version of it or not, this is this is what we know about truth: is whether we like the truth or we don't like the truth, it kind of sits on its own. That's why they they say like the ugly truth, right? Sometimes there are definitely elements of truth that we cannot change no matter no matter how powerful we are yeah uh we can we can we can be so powerful we can revise our perception of the past we can even shape our understanding of the world but our perception our views our beliefs to some extent 
can't change the truth. It, it might change the truth in the future. Maybe you can, you know, yeah, through like, I don't know, mind brainwashing people, whatever it is, you can affect things in the future. You can affect how you look at the past and the truth. But it's kind of limited because no matter how we imagine the past to be, something actually happened in the past in reality. And that thing, that moment, it's gone. It's, it's, it's there. So why is this important? Why are we talking about this then? Because we're at the end of our series about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we've covered in our home groups the good news for everyone in our home groups. And this is the last of the What Everybody Needs to Know series. Here's what you need to know about the truth. You can't change who Jesus is. We can't change whatever you believe right now, whatever you're, even if you're forming your belief system, um, you cannot change who Jesus is. He was born without your knowledge or your permission. He was born in a small, obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He didn't come from money or status. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. You know, like, oh my goodness, like, we think we're restricted in travel, but most of us have traveled more than Jesus has. Um, he never wrote a book. He never held public office. He was turned on by his own people and crucified. You know, people even gambled for his clothing, which were his only possessions in life. Uh, he was poor. It was, it was kind of telling even that he was buried in a borrowed grave through the pity of an acquaintance. Yet, you cannot despise the impact, you cannot dispute even the impact this person has had on the human race. Right? You can't refute the truth, regardless of whatever you think of him, you can't refute the effect he's had on humanity. Uh, we, you know, it's AD 2020 now. AD stands for the year of our Lord. And then BC, everything before, before that was BC because it's before Christ. You go through, go through the countries of this world. And I, I know he's not the only person who's impacted our world. But he's got to be up there. You cannot deny he's had some impact. Go through countries that have been formed based on the influence of Jesus Christ. You know, Philip Yancey says this, which I love. It's a quote that I absolutely love. He says this. You gauge, you gauge the size of the ship that has passed out of sight by the huge wake it leaves behind. If you haven't seen Jesus in real life, in real person, which most of us haven't, how do you tell how enormous that guy is? How significant that person is? You, you, you gauge the size of the ship that has passed out of sight by the wake, the huge wake it leaves behind. And I think all of us can agree that Jesus left a massive mark in our world. You might ask though, did Jesus even exist? Like if we're talking today about truth, like are you sure that this is not just a made-up God? Um, and I, wanted, I started here because I think it's an easy one for us. Because no scholar, 
no matter where they stand on Christianity, will deny that the man Jesus, the one of the Bible, actually existed in time and history. He's one of the most documented figures in all of human history. Thales, a first century Greek writer, talks about Jesus. Pliny the Younger, a lawyer in Rome, talks about Jesus. Tacitus and uh, Suetonius, Roman historians, talk about Jesus. And then the most famous, Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian. So you've got Greek, you've got Roman, you've got Jewish historians talking about Jesus all independently. And then that's not even counting the Bible, which has four eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who uh, write historical documents about Jesus. So there's almost no dispute that we're not talking about um, like the Bhagavad Gita, you know, of um, gods with multiple arms or, or a dream world or dream vision state where Jesus was located in reality in our world. That much we know. What, what else do we know? What else do we know? Well, we know that his teachings were so compelling and so significant that it has stood the test of time, right? We, we, we know this. It's infused the culture that we live in today. So whatever you think of Jesus, he was kind of significant. You know, we've got things like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. We've got stories like the prodigal son. We've got symbols like the cross. Somehow, his teachings from his life have made it, it stood the test of time. Uh, if you just said useless things that were not pertinent at all to reality or truth, it would have faded away. So we know that he was culturally and spiritually influential. We also know about his direct impact. And this is whether you believe in God, whether you believe he's God or not, or whether you even believe in miracles or not, we know that whatever happened, he had a direct impact. Because after his public ministry, he was sentenced to death by Jewish and Roman legal processes. But then on the third day, there was an empty tomb. You can debate all the reasons why there was an empty tomb, but there was an empty tomb. Uh, even the Romans believed that there was an empty tomb. And we know his followers, this is also another thing that is true. So I'm trying to stay with real true facts that are very verifiable, okay? We know that his followers went running around the whole place saying, Oh my goodness, Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that for a fact that his, his followers ran around sort of saying this, that, that they had seen him, that they had talked to him, that they touched him. They, we know they said these types of things because they said it to everybody. It wasn't just one disciple, by the way. It wasn't just a handful of his disciples. It was all of his disciples were saying this. And what did they get for it? They died. They died because of what they saw, because of what they ran around saying, whatever you believe, right? This is what they did. Uh, they ended up all dying. They died. They died poor. They didn't do it for money. Can you imagine on their dying breath, one of them crucified upside down, on their dying breath, they go, it is true. It is true, I tell you. 
These guys probably said it with more determination than you and I could ever muster. So whatever you believe about Jesus or who he is or what he stood for, you need to know that he made a direct impact to the people who lived and knew him. So much so that they took it to their grave saying that he was the son of God, that he was true. There are even records that he was seen by hundreds in a group together. This is what we know, that from his direct impact then, that by AD 100, 25,000 people became Christians. By AD 310, 20 million had become Christians. And by the time we get to today, as a result of the ripple effect of his wake, we have billions believing in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus, though, say about himself? Like, there's some people who go, you know what? Ah, show me, show me where Jesus says he's God. Because he makes some pretty bold claims. Um, and I think to understand these claims, um, you have to understand the audience that he makes the claims to. So he's, while he's writing, he's writing to the people who are living with him at that time, okay? And it's still relevant for us today because we have the ability to comprehend the past. Okay, we can understand context, we can understand that, and we can see if it's true today. But he's, he's, Jesus is, um, he's cornered by the Pharisees, okay? Uh, by people who are like the religious people who go like, oh my goodness, I don't believe you're God, I don't believe, and, and, Jesus says in John 8, 56, 59, I love this passage. He, he, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So he's talking to these Jewish religious people going, hey, you should be thrilled that I'm here. And then the Jews, the ones who would end up crucifying him, said, oh my goodness, you're not even 50 years old. You're just a kid. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, oh my goodness, before Abraham, before, before the beginning of their entire nation, before the beginning of the Jews, he says, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What is so significant about that? Well, I'm going to explain that to you. The word I am is a loaded word. You can tell it's loaded by the sentence that comes next. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid and went out of the temple. What would it be about this statement in that context that would make people pick up stones to chuck at a guy when they said this? I, I want to tell you this. It's because that statement, when he links himself to being before Abraham, when he says, I am the I am, when he says, I am, what he is saying is that he is like the God of Moses who introduced himself as Yahweh, I am the I am. That's why it's so loaded, okay? In fact, in John 10, 36, you'll see Jesus says, I am the Son of God. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Mark 14, 61, 62, uh, he says he is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. So Jesus makes, doesn't give you much choice in the words 
because of the words that he says. Um, I, I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. Because Jesus claimed to be God in human form. C.S. Lewis says, oh my goodness, because of the words that Jesus says, you've either got to believe that Jesus is a lunatic, that he's so deluded, so deluded, so removed from reality, that truth is so fictional for him, that he is a lunatic. Or you have to believe he's a liar. That means he knows that he's not God. He knows that. But he's like, oh my goodness, I've come up with this great idea. You know, what if I was God and I could persuade a whole bunch of people to think I'm God, right? Then it would make him a liar. It would make him a terrible person, a deceiver. A lot of people think that Jesus, you know, he exists. He's real. You know, he made a big impact in our society. Great, great, great. He's just like a good person. You know, let's not, let's not raise the bar so high. Let's not say he's God, right? He's a good person. But the problem with this is that because of the statements Jesus makes himself and then that led to people dying for him and on for those statements, he can't really be a good person if he's either a lunatic or he's a liar, can he? So good person is actually out of the question. That leaves the only other option, which is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He was actually God. And the things that he said was true. And I know that's a big jump. And you're probably thinking, why didn't he just prove it? You know what? If, if Jesus could just definitively prove that he was God, you know, like put some sign up in the sky saying Jesus is God, this one, this over here, then, you know, I'd be persuaded. I, I know it's true. Jesus gave us a sign that was so significant. I, I want to just talk a little bit about it. It's called the sign of Jonah. Let's, let's read in Matthew 12. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, they're saying the same thing that me and you would say. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. You are, oh my goodness, making some pretty big truth claims. So show us a sign. And he, Jesus, answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign? Turns out that was a pretty true statement, but it's okay. But no sign will be given to it except, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus, he self-selects. He says, I am going to show you a sign. Not a thousand signs. I'm just going to pick one. Probably the best one. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then... Um, in in another passage, uh, it says, um, and I think I got the Bible ro- uh, passage wrong. Is I think in Matthew sixteen one to four. Matthew sixteen one to four, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came again to show him, uh, 
and to test him. And they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus answered them and said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be stormy today because the sky is red and threatening. That means you are able, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. And he's starting to say, hey, you can look at certain markers and it will tell you the true thing that is going to happen. Like, hey, it's going to rain. Let me tell you a sign. And then he goes, this is Matthew 16. Sorry for the wrong passage down there. It goes, um, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He says that again. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And then he left and departed. What is the sign? It is that Jesus would die and would be raised again after three days. That would be the definitive sign that he would give. And you, maybe you've heard this before and you're sitting around going, what is the big deal? What is the big deal? Why wouldn't Jesus, why would he pick such an obscure Jonah sign and not just write something in the sky or do something that is definitive? It is because death is still our biggest problem of all of humanity, of all that we have lived in, if Jesus picked the sign, if he had one way to show that he was God definitively, and he picked the biggest, it's like, you know, when you go to prison, so I've heard, you know, you pick the biggest, toughest guy, and you knock him down. <laughs> That's it. Establishes your ranking. Okay, Jesus picked the biggest problem and went, there you go. There you go. Conquer death. That's what he did. I kind of get a little bit irritated with people when they sort of, they, they make light of Jesus' self-selected sign. Go, oh, no. You should have picked a different sign. Well, if it was such a bad sign, why did it work so well? He didn't need a thousand signs. He said he only needed one. Turns out that one sign was sufficient for a poor guy in some obscure village somewhere to transform the whole world. I beat a thousand signs that we have nowadays, I'm pretty sure. But you know, um, but why then? Then you go, okay, well, great. If it works so well, Pastor Christian say it works so well, then why isn't the whole world saved? Aha. Uh -huh. Because it's an invitation. Truth is always an invitation. You can choose to engage with it or not engage with the truth. Well, you need to understand this about our Christian faith, that all of our faith rests on something that happened that can be tested, verifiable, it occurred, um, and it is the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There is something true that happened, regardless of whatever we believe, whatever we perceive of the truth, there's something true that happened and our Christian faith rests on that truth. You know, something very powerful happens when you align yourself with truth. We know this. When you align yourself with truth, reality fights for you. 
When you align yourself with truth, reality fights for you. You know, when you align yourself with a lie, all right, um, or something that you made up, you, you actually need more lies to support that thing. So we know this from, you know, like movies or, or computer games, right? I, I, I like playing computer games, right? Uh, I've been reading a lot of game development um, articles. They have to, like, not just come up with a game. They've got to work on the lighting. They've got to work on wind effects, shadow effects to make it more realistic. Why? Because in the game, there is no sun, there is no light source. In fact, everything that you see in the game is made up. So what you have to do is you have to make up more things all around it. Reality is not fighting for you. You have to create other things that support your argument. But when you align with reality, when you align with truth, reality fights for you. And we see that in things like the aeroplane that can fly, right? When you figure out how aerodynamics works, when you align with the truth, then all of the reality of, of, of physics and of uh, the world that we live in, it fights for you. And that plane that carries so many passengers that is so heavy can even fly. Well, the image of God is the truth about humanity, so if we align ourselves to the image of truth of humanity, then reality fights for us. So let's go through what happens when we align ourselves with God. I just want to give you a kind of a taste of what that means. When you align, when if Jesus is true, if we're made in the image of God, then when we align ourselves with God, we find ourselves being more accountable. We don't just live our lives anyhow we want to. It propels us to value others. You know, we heard last week Pastor Roland talk about love and how God's love shapes even how we show love. When we align ourselves with God, it actually brings about more freedom. We covered that in our freedom sermon. Because there are choices that we can make in our own lives that will restrict our own future freedom. And when we align ourselves with God, we take on as well His justice to make things right in the world. What happens actually when we align with God is the reality of the world that he has created kicks in. And I want to say to you that what that does for your life is it bears good fruit. That not just in these theoretical things that we can talk about, about Jesus and prove, you know, through archaeology and historians and all these things about Jesus is, it was true that he was God. Not just talking philosophical about constructs in the sky, not even talking about historical impact, which we've just done. But if we just look at your life right now, what happens when you walk into the truth that Jesus was who he said he was, the truth of who God is, it can have really powerful effect on your life. Because just as a plane by design would walk into flight, 
humans, us, when we align ourselves with God, we kind of become better versions of ourselves. We hold ourselves accountable. Even in those times when Christianity and Christians did the wrong thing, they were judged by God. They, were had, they had to be held accountable to God. So we now look back at some of those bad periods of Christianity and go, oh my goodness, you are not aligned with God. You did not follow the truth of who Jesus was. Because when you align yourself with God, when you align yourself with Jesus and truth, good fruit comes out. It, it produces a transformed life. And across FGA, across the many people that you saw in the picture that we had up there, through, through the many families across, I tell you, there are hundreds of real life stories of what's happened with people once they've accepted the truth about Jesus Christ. Uh, that's certainly the case in my life with my story. I uh, grew up when I was young as a real brat, to be honest. Even, even after I accepted Christ when I was a kid, I would not fully be cognizant, not fully be aware of the truth of Jesus Christ until actually I um, came to Australia, you know, grew up, became an adult and, and recommitted my life to him. But before I did that, oh my goodness, I was in the height of my personal arrogance. I thought I was so cool. I went to university really young. I thought I was really intelligent. You know, um, I was good at Street Fighter 2. The only things that were important in life at that time for me. You know, oh my goodness. I thought I was so amazing. And what happened was Jesus really saved me from myself. He did. I ended up flunking out of uni. Um, I... Um, I ended up making a mess, actually, of my life uh, from the trajectory that it was going because of my arrogance. And it was at that low point that I turned to God. And if I look back now about the truth of my life, that I can't change, that these things, they happen to me. And I wish I could go back and, and, and not fail accounting and not fail the math subject or whatever it is that I flunked in. Like, but I can't because it's the truth of what happened in my life. As I look back, there was another truth in my life that Jesus was a turning point for me and that as I surrendered my life to God, to God's leadership, to Jesus, the way, Jesus' way, his truth and his life, it brought out the very best in me. And I'm still a work in progress as many Christians are, but I, I, I wouldn't go back to be really honest. So before I end, can I just um, maybe highlight one more final thing? Because maybe you're on this journey and you're trying to figure out, is Jesus real or not? Is he the truth? Um, can I maybe propose that we look at our journey of finding God a bit like a maths problem? All right? You know, like 
they say like maths is one of the big truths that are out there, right? Because two of something plus two of something must be four of something. Whatever you believe, whatever the thing is, like if there's two of something and you add two of something, there'll be four of something, whatever it is. They're like, there are all these people who say maths is so pure, right? But the fact of the matter is that even if you get the wrong answer, like let's say you go two plus two is eight or something like that. There are some answers that are closer to the right answer than others. So if you were to say two plus two is 24 billion trillion, that's way out. But if you went two plus two is five, yeah, you're kind of getting closer. You're kind of getting closer. There's some element of truth because maybe when you counted the four sticks, you miscounted it. So you're two plus two and you're one, two, three, and you counted five. Or you counted the sticks and you're one, two, three, and you, 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 you missed one because you blinked or whatever it is. So you're kind of closer. There, it's, it's possible that, you know, when, when the disciples, they were growing up with Jesus, um, being discipled with him, they were like getting close, they were getting close, but they still had the wrong answer. You might be like that. I want to encourage you that it is possible for you to pursue a journey of truth, of finding truth, even finding Jesus who makes very absolute claims without yet fully crossing the line. To say, yes, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is God. He is who he says he is. Which we believe. Which we think is true. But maybe you're going on that journey. I want to encourage you along on that journey. Because the great thing about truth is that it can be investigated. The great thing about Jesus Christ is that you can go on a lifelong journey to seek him out and find out for yourself. And so today, as I close... I want to um, pray for everybody here. Maybe you are a seeker of truth. Maybe today, as I was talking about truth even, um, a fundamental question was peaked in you. And you're like, oh, maybe I should consider that there is such a thing as truth. Maybe. Or maybe you're sitting there going, oh, Chris wasted his time talking about truth. Because obviously there is truth. It's just that I don't believe Jesus Christ as God is the truth. Then maybe today, hopefully, I've made a case and we've moved a little bit closer to maybe accepting that there might be some truth in it. I think the case stands pretty strong. I think that Jesus, through his transformational life, through his definitive sign, that sign of Jonah is proving to us, is showing to us, enlightening us about the truth. You know, this is what we say about the gospel. The gospel is the good news. This is why we believe it's for everybody to know. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. That he lived the life that we should have lived. That means Jesus, if you look at his life, so many people look at his life and go, oh, Jesus was a good man. He, he helped the poor. He healed the sick. He, he did not sin. He lived the life, oh, we were made to live. But we couldn't. Because we actually sinned. We actually fell short. 
And Jesus died the death that we should have died in our place. You know, we looked about, we looked in our session about justice. And if we got what was coming to us, oh my goodness, we should have died. But Jesus took that penalty. He died the death that we should have died in our place. And then here is the definitive sign. The sign that Jesus himself says he's going to give and he ended up doing. Three days later, he rose from the dead after dying in our place, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to those who repent and believe in him. This is really powerful stuff. Why do you have to repent? Because if you are believing a non-truth, if you're believing a lie, it's not going to go well. It is with all sincerity. It is with great love that today I want to invite you to a life with Jesus. There's two groups of people I want to pray for just as we close. One, I want to pray for people who they haven't fully decided about Jesus yet, but you, are want, you want to commit to pursuing the truth. You want to find out. I want to pray for you today because I think that journey that you're on is so important. Uh, it is so crucial because if it is true, then it will be uncovered. And the second person I want to pray for is maybe through this series or through the things that have been happening in your life, through your observation even of the world, you've come to a realization that actually all of this stuff is not fabricated. It's not just lies upon lies and made up. That you've come to a realization that there is truth in there about Jesus, truth in there about the world, about God, and that you need to align yourself with that truth. And you want to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and ask him for the salvation that he promises. I want to lead you in prayer. So let's pray together. Father, I want to pray. If that's you, you can just put your hand on your heart as I'm praying for you. Father, I want to pray for every single person who is seeking and searching for you, searching for truth. I pray, Lord God, that even right now in today's service, that you would be their light that as light shines in dark places, it reveals the things that are there. I pray that you would reveal to these people who've got their hand on their heart right now, who are searching and seeking, that you would reveal truth to them. Bring them to people who they can talk to. Show them. Illuminate your word. Holy Spirit, lead and guide them. And I pray, Lord God, for each person who is on that journey of seeking you, just as the disciples, just as the wise men who are following the star, I pray, Lord God, that they would find you. Secondly, Lord, I want to pray for each person who right now today wants to give their life to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would um, forgive them of their sin. I pray, Lord God, that as they walk into a commitment to do the sinner's prayer, as they, as they talk to someone even after this, that they would begin a journey of following after you. That they would understand that they are not God, but that you are God. And that you are a good God who intends their freedom and their salvation. So we pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if that was you... If you have either said that you want to begin this journey of 
finding truth or maybe you put your hand on your heart while I was praying for you and you want to accept Christ, can I encourage you to jump into the lobby uh, at this link here, fjam.org org.au slash lobby because we actually want some time to explain the gospel to you in more detail and we want to lead you through what's called the sinner's prayer uh, which is basically a declaration that uh, um, a declaration of this gospel that we have just sort of read out um, that 